Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast, presented by SeatGeek. You'll hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and writers that cover the NFL on a daily basis. The New Orleans Saints podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Aaron Summers. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. I'm Aaron Summers. The Saints have broken from camp and are off for the long weekend. Here's head coach Dennis Allen. Yeah, look, I, I think it's important. I told the I told the guys when we broke, you know, uh, the most important thing over the next three days is to get your body and your mind rested and recovered and right um, and ready to go for the regular season. So I think that's important. That was part of what we tried to do this week. This week was about still getting work. Um, but yet trying to get their bodies back after a long physical training camp. In today's episode, I sit down with Saints quarterback coach Ronald Curry to break down Jameis Winston, the wide receivers, and Curry's path to the quarterback room. A little housekeeping before we get to that. The Saints named their 16-man practice squad Wednesday with some local favorites getting added back in, wide receiver Kirk Merritt and Dejon Dixon. On Thursday, running back Dwayne Washington was added to the 53-man roster, and offensive lineman Trevor Penning and defensive lineman Malcolm Roach were both added to the injured reserve. Stay tuned to Saints on Twitter or NewOrleansSaints.com as rosters are tweaked and as the first injury report comes out next week. Reports came out Thursday that safety Marcus May had been arrested for aggravated assault with a firearm. Head coach Dennis Allen said they were still gathering information on the situation. We were aware, made aware of it this morning, um, and we're still gathering all the information. And so, you know, we're really not going to have a comment on it at this time until we get more information. Now for our guest today, former North Carolina quarterback, Oakland QB and wide receiver, offensive assistant and wide receiver coach with the 49ers, Ronald Curry. Curry is going into his seventh season here with the Saints, starting out as a wide receiver coach and moving to quarterbacks prior to last season. Coach, I appreciate you joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. It's always great to take a peek behind the curtain, talk to the people that make the players who they are on Sundays or Mondays, or Thursdays, mm-hmm. whenever the game may be. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's been an eventful past month with training camp. You have your two quarterbacks, Jameis mm-hmm. Winston and Andy Dalton, and you're going into year two as the quarterback's coach. How are you trying to grow and develop that group? Well, you know, having guys like that in a room makes it easy, you know, especially Jameis um, and Andy has played a lot of ball, you know, so – I try to give them a little bit of knowledge from when I played more X's and O's guys. Um, you know, the longer you play in the league, you know, the more knowledgeable you get. So you start it, start depending a little bit more on your intelligence than really your athletic ability, um, especially at that position. So, you know, I just try to um, just let Jameis know, you know, what's going to from one play to the next, you know, what we're looking for. And um, the same way with Andy, you know, it's a little different with Andy because he's coming into a new system. Um, so just trying to teach him the way we do things and um, for this year. And then, you know, last year building seven games with James and actually, mm-hmm. you know, helped a lot, you know, coming back this year. So I know the main focal point for him was just to make sure he was healthy, you know, getting the season started. And I think we did a good job of that all the way around. You mentioned, you know, Jameis having those seven games last year. This year, coming in with a little more continuity, maybe in the quarterback room. You know, dealt with several last season. Trevor right. Simeon, Taysom Hill came in. How much easier does it make your job? 
Well, it's a little easier this year because, you know, we kind of had a quarterback competition at the beginning mm-hmm. of last year with Jamison Taysom. Um, and, you know, this year knowing that you come in and you know that Jameis is the starting quarterback um, and then you're just trying to build a system around him. And then Andy come in as a number two, and I think we know exactly what he brings to the offense. And then you was, you know, you had end where you was trying to bring along. So just, just knowing which, you know, that you have your one, you have your two, and you're building your system around number one strengths. Um, I think it just made it easier all the way around with the transition um, from last year to this year. If you're building an offense around your number one strength, it might not necessarily be your number two strength. Right. But how difficult is it for a backup quarterback to step in? Um, I think Andy and Jameis, their style um, as far as operating in the system is, a, is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they go about their business is a little bit different. Um, but, you know, pretty much every offense you would say in the NFL have similar plays. It's just what are you calling on Sunday? So you would just lean a little bit more to one player or the next with Jameis in there and vice versa if Andy was a quarterback. So the the biggest thing really is the talent that we have put around them. Mm-hmm. You know, you got AK coming back. You got Mike coming back into the fold. You drafted Alave and you got Jarvis. You got a growing tight end group and Trout, Jawan, and Taysom now. And um, you got an offensive line that's healthy. So as long as you can stay healthy, I mean, the quarterback position, um, not just getting better from last year to this year, I feel like the weapons around them would make them even better. How do you develop that chemistry? Is it literally just time on task? I mean, I think Jameis did a heck of a job this offseason. Man, he brought those guys down to Florida and they worked, when they were here, they worked every mm-hmm. day. Um, and then they, you know, they just built their chemistry, you know, on the field, getting rep after rep, getting to, you know, the OTAs and the mini camps, getting more reps and then getting to training camp and getting more reps and walkthroughs. So they spend a lot of time together, not only in the building, but away from the building. And I mean, that's the biggest thing. We got a, a close net bunch that's, you know, spending time away from football. You know, you, you develop those relationships to where on Sunday, you know exactly what guys are thinking, you know exactly how to, you know, handle certain guys when they're going through, you know, different things. Some guys you can, you know, pat on the back. Some guys you got to jump on them. Some guys you can encourage them. And I think the more you time you spend around these guys, you know, what it, what makes them tick and you try to get them to that point. What makes you tick as a coach? What's your style? Uh, you know, I'm more of a laid back yeah. kind of guy, you know, I like to have fun though. Um, you know, get some energy. I love game day. Um, I love the process. Um, I love the X's, X's and O's of it, just trying to figure out the chess game from of the defense. Um, but I'm, I'm more laid back. I feel like I handle pressure well. You don't really, you know, been through a lot of situations, and I feel like that, that works to my advantage. So, you know, I'm an even kill kind of guy. You know, I think I'm a hard read, you know, as far as being up or down. Winston has mentioned that you're pretty even keel. Mm-hmm. You kind of keep him level-headed, good room for all of you guys to be in. Um, when you're looking at the team, you're working with the quarterback, you've had a lot of time with the wide receivers, how vital is the offensive line for a quarterback and that relationship? I mean, uh, I mean, I think not only for the quarterback, for the team, I think they're the tempo setters. You know, I think they do all the dirty work and don't get enough credit for it, but they, they like that, you know, and I think we have a great offensive line that, you know, you can get behind, you can run. They're going to protect the center of the pocket. Um, they're smart, they're intelligent, they're coached well. Um, you can trust and depend on them. So I think as a quarterback, 
if you know that you can trust and depend on the guys that's in front of you, life is a lot easier. You know, you can be back there and you know you're in a safe space and um, and you guys are handling, you know, all the problems and situations that may come up in the game. It's no different from a receiver and you're throwing a ball to him. You know exactly where he's going to be. I think when you see certain pressures, I mean, the, the communication without communicating, without mm-hmm. saying a word with the offensive line is vital. And I think we have that with our quarterback in the offensive line. How do you instill that internal clock in a quarterback to know that, okay, this isn't here, I got to move on to this next, you know, your reads or where your your players are going to so, be? So, you know, we, we try to drill it with our footwork, you know, when, you, when you're stepping up in the pocket, allowing your hitches to take you, you know, your eyes to certain places, um, and then knowing when you should get, you know, you don't will a guy open. And we do it by concept, you know, some concepts are full progression where you always start at the same spot. Some concepts are the um, coverage related, you mm-hmm. know, and this um, a lot of the defense has gotten, you would say, smarter over the years just because they're throwing a lot of different looks at you, but they're trying to make them look the same. Um, but I think just studying um, your film work and knowing exactly what's coming will allow you to progress in your your concepts a lot faster. And, I mean, I think we got one of the, the – you know, smarter quarterbacks in the lead and somebody who works, you know, his butt off to to know what the defense is doing um, in the film room. And then he goes out at practice and he executes. How much time does Winston spend? Oh, man, it's not enough hours in a day for that kid. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he's he's one of the, you know, I've seen him first in the building. Um, he may be the last one out, but, you know, I haven't seen that. But, I mean, I don't think it's anybody that – you know, works harder than him. It may be some guys that work, you know, just as hard. But, um, I mean, he's he's dedicated. You know, it's not only like, you know, what he's what he's been trying to do is from a rehab standpoint, but he's always in the building, you know. On Tuesdays last year, he's, he's in there and he's with the young guys. And I think that's the one of the things that, you know, kind of get overlooked with him, the type of leader he is. You know, when you're when you're outside looking in, you just see the playful kid on Sunday – but you don't get to see the guy who works from Monday to Saturday. And I think that's where he separates himself. I mean, the kid has been, I mean, he's a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he's a national champion. And that doesn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, he puts in the work. And not only that he recognizes his talent, but his talent and his work ethic, you know, they match. And he has success with it. You've had a lot of success in your career starting from playing in college and then going to the NFL as a coach. You started out as a wide receiver's coach mm-hmm. you played quarterback in college right why was that the transition for you um you know when I first when I first got into the NFL um I was with the Oakland Raiders mm-hmm. um 2002 and we went to the Super Bowl um and I, and I came in I was like the fourth quarterback so I was on a practice squad so Rich Gannon passed for 5,000 yards they just give him a big deal so it's like you're probably never ever going to touch the field at quarterback at this point the offseason, Al Davis calls, calls me and was like, you can stay at quarterback and probably never play. Or, you know, you can go to safety or wide receiver. And in my mind, I still wanted to be able to, you know, touch the ball on mm-hmm. offense. So I made a decision to go to wide receiver. And um, it took, you know, a couple of months to get my body where it needed to be. Um, and I also had, you know, Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, um, Jerry Porter that was in front of me playing so it wasn't immediate. I still had to work. and um, But at the same time, I was able to gain a lot of knowledge from those guys. That was a 15, 16-year vets. One is the greatest receiver of all time. Yeah. And, 
So I was able to learn the game from the receiver position before I had to play. But I never stopped thinking as a quarterback. And I think that's helped me in the receiver room coaching. Um, also helped me with my transition to the quarterback room because I never turned that faucet off. I always thought like the big picture of when would the quarterback you know, come to me and um, when I'm open and, and just the timing of everything. Um, so that that helped me, you know, as a coach and as a player to have a quarterback background. You mentioned Jerry Rice. What is some of the stuff that you learned from him or that you saw him do? You, you know, Jerry was um, he was a quiet kind of man, I would say. Um, he kind of sat back in the corner and he was just laughing mm-hmm. at everything. Like he was silly like that. And he, but he worked. When I say he worked, he worked like no other. And you really just had to watch him and learn, you know. But it was also some stuff like he had the greatest hips besides maybe Chad Johnson that I've ever seen, just getting in and out of breaks. Um, And that's something that you can't teach, you know. But just the knowledge of the game on how to set up a defender to get to where you want to go, giving them different looks, studying guys' feet. You know, if they back on their heels, they getting out. If they're on their toes, there's a quick jam. How close are they? Um, reading the shell. Um, so he was more of a person that you really had to watch operate, and you had to go to him with questions. Tim Brown was the opposite. Like, he was, his knowledge and his wealth, like, he wanted to share it, you mm-hmm. know. So he would come to you and kind of coach you up along the way. But when I was coming up, it was more like, when you got those veteran guys on a, on a team, only time they went into practice was when they knew they was getting the ball. So it was <laughs> like when he knew he wasn't getting the ball, he would put you in and he would kind of coach you up on how to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got a lot of reps against the Charles Woodsons of the world, the Nomni Osmolas, you know, the Rod Woodsons. So you play against those, those guys every day. Like you don't have a choice but to get better, you know, mm-hmm. regardless if you're trying to or not, you don't get better. And um, – so, you know, I was blessed to be able to do that and to gain the knowledge of the game and that, and that have to depend on just my athletic ability. If somebody that you got to play against in college every day was Julius Peppers. Mm-hmm. I mean, me being somebody from North Carolina, following him and his career, how much fun was it to, to be I around mean, that's, him? I mean, that's my guy. Um, it's unfortunate, not unfortunate, because if, if you really know – like the Julius Peppers of old, like he came to to Carolina. If you ever watched his highlight film from high school, he was a running back. Mm-hmm. He played at a small school, so he was the biggest person on the team, and he was carrying the ball. So when he first got to Carolina, we came in together. We tried him at tight end, and I wouldn't say he struggled, but he wasn't natural as a tight end. Didn't right? have the hands. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I want to say he didn't have hands, but he didn't have hands <laughs> as a tight end. And then he red shirts. In like his first game coming back as a defensive end, he catched like a one-handed interception and take it back to the house. And then you like, you know, you you was amazed by his talent anyway, just because how big he was. Mm-hmm. And then um, then you see him do that, you know, on the um, the football field at defensive end, and that separated him from everybody. You know, you couldn't block him. He had speed to power. He had power to speed. He was athletic. He was he had a natural feel. Like he moved like a safety, but he was in a defensive end body. You know, and then you take it to the basketball court is the same thing. He was just an amazing athlete, you know. Um, 
but I thought it, you know, watching, you know, it's like took a year for him to find his position. And once he did, it was a wrap. Yeah. That was a little tangent. Sorry that I took you down that path. No, that's good. I let's like go, that. Let's go back guy. to the wide receivers here. Somebody that you worked closely with here is Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. What stands out about him or his talent, his ability? He looked so good in camp. I've always said this from the first day he, he touched here. And I'm not saying from um, just a wide receiver spot, but like to me, like he works like Jerry Rice. You know, he has one tempo. Mm-hmm. Like we in walkthrough, he's full speed. You know, and he's the most competitive person that you're going to ever be around. And he's hard on himself. And that's like a little to his fault. Like he's so hard on himself and so overcritical when he make mistakes, like he has to work it out, work it out. And but that's what makes him great. And you don't want to ever take that out of him. And um, so, you know, I think he's going to come back, if not just as good or better just because that's that's in his DNA. He's only one way, mm-hmm. and that's what makes him special. For you, why did you want to make the move from the wide receiver room to quarterback? Like my my main goal in getting, in getting into coaching was to be an offensive coordinator. You know, that's the the dream that I'm trace, chasing. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to call plays. Um, can't say I want to be a head coach. Can't say I want to be a position coach. I want to be able. It doesn't matter what position. I'm in as far as, you know, the assistant, but I want to be one day be able to call plays. And, you know, I've always looked at myself as a quarterback. And so being in the quarterback room um, and getting the, the, the knowledge and the install from a global standpoint and not just as a receiver will help with my growth as a play caller. And the opportunity came and, um, you know, Sean was willing to give me a shot. And, you know, I think I'm – you know, my main goal is just to be right now is to be the best quarterback coach I can be, the best quarterback coach in the league, and help the quarterbacks on this team be the best they can be. And I feel everything else to take care of itself. And when that time comes, it comes. And if it don't, I know I did everything I could to try to make it happen. All right. Well, taking a look at the team we have now, the offense, I know you can't predict things, which mm-hmm. things going to happen or tell me a number, but you feel confident in, in this group? The, excited the about their you, abilities the the team no offensively Off, offensively look i, I feel and compared like to we, where last year and look, all I, the injuries i feel like we better we, we 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 are a better offense than we were last year from 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 the the standpoint of you can get mike back and i loved our receiver group from last year and i know they get a lot of slack but i loved them those guys worked they were young mm-hmm. and it was good for them because they don't, we don't have to depend on them again this year. Um, but you get Mike back, you get a first-round talent in Alave, you get a veteran in Jarvis, mm-hmm. you know, you got the tight end group that's a year that's a year older, and also you can add Taysom to that group. You still got AK, right, best running back in the league. You put Mark with them, all right, you get two back under center. Like, I feel good about our def- – I mean, our offense against 31 defenses in the league. And then on top of that, we get to practice every day against one of the best defenses in the league. Mm-hmm. So it makes us even better, you know. So, um, you know, pound for pound, I man, I feel good about anybody we go against, you know. But we still got to put in the work. And we still got to get out there and from, you know, one play to the next, you know, take advantage of our opportunities. And, you know, you look at a lot of teams that are good on paper, and I feel like we are one of them. 
Um, but all those teams putting in work, mm-hmm. I think we are one of the teams that are actually out here competing and practicing every day. Um, and then we are also getting better on the little, the little things. And I think that's, you know, when you're in the league, you know, it's always talented guys on both sides of the ball, regardless on who you're playing against. And it's the teams that execute the best, you know, that win on Sundays. You know, and it's four or five plays throughout the game that you can look back on and you can be like, okay, that's the reason we won or lost. And we want to be able to take a, take advantage of those four or five days. And I think DA is doing a heck of a job make, pointing that out to where, you know, the the mistakes that are made have to be minimum. Mm-hmm. And when the defense do, do make those mistakes, you got to take advantage of them. Yeah. And talking to Andy Dalton, he said on paper, this is probably the best team he's ever been a part of. And he's really excited about mm-hmm. seeing what they can do. One thing that uh, Jameis Winston talks about all the time when we talk to him is how he's been working on his intermediary passes, right? right? right. So that's 11 to 19 yards from the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. You so, know, no more hero ball. Well, you know, I don't want him to totally get rid of the hero ball because <laughs> it is hero ball. Because a lot of fast. He can get down I there. I mean, when you got guys like him and Deontay, you know, you want to take those shots, mm-hmm. right? And then you got a guy like Taysom and Jawan. You can also take those shots, um, but when you when you think about Jameis, and I know he you know get a lot of slack for his intermediate game, but um, you look at a system that he came out of in Tampa. I mean, they didn't really ask him to do that. Sure. You know, the backs never really got out; they were always in protection. So now he's learning or performing now in a different style of offense and learning how to pick those mm-hmm. spots. And I think he's becoming a master of that and not only doing that and now realizing that is, you know, when you're throwing short passes, the accuracy and the ball placement is critical. And it's not just, okay, I'm getting down to it and I'm hitting them. But how can that guy catch the ball and turn a five yard gain into a 15 yard gain or 10 yard gain into a 25 yard gain? And being knowing that it is okay to go one, two, three, get to that guy and feel good about it because now that is AK, all right? That is Mike Thomas, that is Jarvis Landry, that's catching them underneath passes, and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how they make their money about, you know, about the yak. So understanding that the the play design is sometimes is for that. And then when it's time to be hero ball, you know, when the defense do do make those mistakes. And let's take advantage of them in that way and not force them. You know, mm-hmm. how do you get from the one that's going to give you the, the big play down to two without waiting on one and then bad stuff happen? Sure. Bunch of wheel routes. Yeah. bunch Just of Just kind of work down the field, tire work, out the defense. Just work down the field. And, you know, some defense will bend but don't break. Yeah. You know, some defense are a little more aggressive and they're going to give you those shots. But, you know, like our defense, you know, you would say they're aggressive, but mm-hmm. they have players back there that they can be aggressive with. Sure. You know, some teams do and some teams don't. Yeah. You know. Well, I appreciate the time talking uh, to you. Man, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. I I could sit and talk to you about all this little stuff Carolina. forever. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I said, love having another Tar Heel around. I'm glad that we can have that. There's not too many. It's Us me, and, you and James, James Hurst. Hurst. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's enough for now. <laughs> always can take a couple more in the building, though. Yeah, okay. well, we'll see how they do. They look like they should be pretty good this year. Yeah, we got a big one this weekend, App State. Yep. You know, I know they're a little nervous down there, but I think we're going to handle business. We got to go to App State, which is not an easy place to go play, no. you know, up in the mountains. But 
um, I'm pretty sure Coach have them, have them ready to go. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I appreciate the time. All right. It was so good to talk to Curry before he really heads off to prepare for Atlanta. Ahead of that game in Atlanta, you can participate in the Saints kickoff run on September 10th. For details on the event, here's the race director, Jamie Monroe. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes to talk to me about the Saints kickoff run. It's a really exciting event coming up before the Saints start the season. How are you involved and what are you looking forward to with the event? And thanks for having me. We have been doing this now. This will be the 10th running of the Saints kickoff run presented by Hancock Whitney. Um, I can't believe it's been 10 times doing it. It's actually going to be the um, 11th um, annual um, just with some of the, uh, the COVID cancellations in the, in the past couple of years. But it'll be the first time that we're running it live and in person since 2019. Um, and then we had a couple, couple virtual years in between. But um, I've been the race director since um, 2012. Um, I worked with the, the Saints staff to, to get it off the ground in the city of New Orleans. And it's been, it's been a long road. I can't believe it's been more than 10 years. And, and that the race is so well received with uh, Saints fans and uh, fitness and running enthusiasts in, in the New Orleans area. What can fans that come out to participate expect at the event? I would say this is probably the most popular fan-facing running event in the NFL. It's it's incredible. Fans meet in Champion Square. Um, 7.30 in the morning is the race start. Um, they line up. They, they um, head down Poydras and in and into the French Quarter, um, left on Choptulis into North Peters, and then kind of turn around down by Decatur. And um, so they get the experience of running into the French Quarter, and then they come back, um, do a half loop around Sugar Bowl Drive um, through the tunnel, and then they finish on the 50-yard line. Um, so it's, it's quite the, uh, the experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's always good to finish in the air conditioning on the 50-yard line and, and kind of get ready for uh, the, the football season. And then afterwards, though, there's a party, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely a fan favorite. We've got a Bud Light, Bud Light beer garden um, that's that's open to all runners. Um, that's included with the race. Um, we have um, a live band with music that plays for a couple hours. And so after everyone's cooled off in the AC inside the dome, then they walk out to Champion Square, listen to live music, um, you know, have some beers, talk about the Saints. Um, it's it's quite a tradition that's um, we created over the last 10 years so if you come to the event you get to run the race you go get to be on this the turf at the caesar superdome where the saints actually play and then get to hang out with a bunch of fans in champion square what else do the fans get t-shirts medals yeah it's you know like most running events but this one's maybe better like of course i'm going to say that but every runner is going to get a saints branded um shirt so i um, mean it's some value as we as we know like saints shirts in the pro shop um can can be a little pricey and and a free t-shirt um is included with the entry and then you also get a uh, commemorative medal um we know we have runners that have done it all 10 years and that come out and collect the, the the medal that we provide every year for finishing the race um we also have a kids run um the kids run is uh, presented by visaline and um, the kids will also get a T-shirt and a kids' medal, and that's a half mile in distance, um, and it and it starts up, you know, very around 9:15, 9:30, right after all, most of the adults have finished. Um, they finish on the 50-yard line just like the adults, and get to have that same, you know, sort of 
pro football player experience where they're running through the tunnel and, and down the field and, and, and experiencing all of that. So, um, you know, the race offers a lot. I mean, you, you, you know, there's nowhere in the world where you can run on closed roads um, in the French Quarter and then finish on the 50-yard line of an NFL stadium. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And for those that are participating, I know you can go to saints5k.com to sign up. What do the proceeds go to for the entry fee and everything um, that this race is benefiting? Every year, um, the Saints organization picks a a new local charity for this race to benefit. Um, And this year's charity is Yaya. And uh, Yaya stands for Young Aspirations, Young Artists. Um, and its mission is to empower creative young people to become successful adults. One of the cool things that they focus on um, is arts, but also entrepreneurship. And, and we know in this day, we need, to, we need to teach more people how to start businesses and, and create something new and, and, and help the economy. And, and so Yaya is doing that, and they're doing that with uh, young people and young adults. And I, I just think it's a, it's a great charity that uh, um, has a chance to get exposed to all the different uh, runners that are running and, and have some awareness towards it. I kind of briefly mentioned, but can you just kind of do the overview of how you can sign up? What do you need to do in order to participate? Yeah, absolutely. So just go to saints5k.com, um, hit register, enter your name, you know, you're enter your t-shirt size, um, you know, put in your um, age and gender so that we can rank you. Um, there are finisher results. Every five-year increment, there's uh, top three prizes. Um, and then there's overall awards where the overall awards will get um, Saints footballs and also some trophies. So there's, um, it's really that simple, saints5k.com, sign up. Um, you know, the, again, the beneficiary is Yaya, and the, and the presenting sponsor is Hancock Whitney, who has been a great um, sponsor and support of all this um, as we've uh, had to gear up for everything, turning back on live again after, you know, really just about three years of virtual running events. Well, I really appreciate you breaking it down for me. It sounds like an awesome event, something that I'm definitely going to check out. So I will see everybody there on September 10th for the Saints 5K. Yeah, awesome. I I heard there's going to be some Saints legends and some players showing up too. So uh, it's it's a great way to to kick off the season. I I know the Saints are away that weekend, but um, I know people have the urge to start getting into football season. That's that's when it all starts, and that's when the race, race kicks off. Definitely. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Again, that's saints5k.com to sign up. Monday, John DeShazer, Todd Graffinini, and myself will preview the upcoming game and talk the latest news and notes on the Saints. Talk to you then. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Join us three times per week on neworleansaints.com, the Saints mobile app, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time, right here on the New Orleans Saints Podcast, presented by SeatGeek.